I get excited every week to open up the Word of God. Does anybody else get excited about the Word of God? Thank you, both of you. Does anybody else get excited about the Word of God? Come on. We cannot cheer for Steve Martin more than the Word of God, though he's good. I was just thinking, what if we had put Richard Pryor up there? And (laughs) there probably isn't very many Richard Pryors. Anyway, let's move on. All right. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4 for this morning. We're going back to Mark. We started in Mark months ago. Then we took a little bit of a hiatus. We finished three chapters of the book of Mark, verse by verse through three chapters. And now we are in Mark chapter 4. And I'm a little bit frustrated at myself because the title of this series is Mark. That's what I came up with. (laughs) And I thought this week, I have it finally. Uh, In Mark 4, it should have been, mark my words. Yeah, there's another layer there. Mark my words. You see what I'm saying? Mark, Andrew, you get it? Mark. But I can't do it now. I can't do it now. It's too late in the series. But uh, I do want to take a moment. If if you have ever worked in the children's area or set up in the children's area, we got some back there right now. Uh, we just want to thank you for all the children's work that you have done. Andrew and Hannah are kind of leading that up. And so uh, thank you for that. And the reason I say that is one of the reasons we love children is they say the craziest things. Children say the craziest things. Four different tests, four different responses. I want you to see some of these examples. First test, first picture up here. What ended in 1896? One kid said 1895. So our next hire is going to be that kid right there. I think he probably was the wrong answer, but that's the right answer. This is one of those cause and effect questions. Do you remember those? Uh, Tony practices the piano every day. Effect, he is a big nerd. That's what the kid, he's a big nerd. That's what that means. He's missing kickball. Uh, In a word, describe school. And I appreciate, I'm sorry about that. I appreciate the capital letters. (laughs) H-E-L-L. But my favorite by far is the spelling test. The kid got every one of them wrong except for one, illiterate. He spelled (laughs) illiterate. So he should get an A. (laughs) If you get them all wrong but spell illiterate correctly... Oh, the ironies. And he, he spells that right. I want to I say this. Your posture says a lot about you. Your spiritual posture. You know how important that is? If you walk in here with an expectant heart that God's going to do something today, he will do something today. But if you come in here with a bored spirit, a bored spo- a posture, you'll probably leave and say, well, that was boring. Or if you come in with a critical spirit, guess what you'll get? You'll get something. We'll give you something that you can be critical about. But if you come in here with an expectant posture, God always delivers. I encourage people to pray before they come to church. Pray that God will speak to me. Pray that God will open my eyes. Pray that he will touch my heart and soften my heart. Because whenever you pray that prayer, do you think he will say yes to that prayer? He will every day time. He wants to do something in you. The title of this sermon is Breakthrough. 
it's a breakthrough. It's the first parable given in the book of Mark. I don't think it's the first parable Jesus ever gave, but it's the first one Mark teaches us about. It's called the parable of the, uh, of the sower. If you have your Bibles, it probably says that right above the passage, verses 1 through 20. It's also recorded in Matthew 13, I believe also in Luke chapter 8, and it is the only parable that I'm aware of that I could find that Jesus gives the explanation of. Most of the parables, he gives the parable and the disciples leave scratching their heads. What was he talking about there? But this one, he actually explains it. And I believe it's the only one he explains. And so let me read the entire passage, verses 1 through 20. And if you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. We got you covered. Verse 1, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. And uh, they didn't have an Alfonso back then. They didn't have a sound system. The reason for the lake was the audio. Uh, it was a good, there's another word for audio. Acoustic, I knew it was with an A. I was thinking A. There was a, it was a better acoustic way that bounces off the water. He's on the boat. The crowds are out there. They don't swarm him. And so there, there was actually practical reasons for the lake. This isn't the only time he's on the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, which is a made-up story with a spiritual purpose. That's what a parable is. And in his teaching, he said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and, the, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. So that's the parable. But then he goes on. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And what he's saying is, whoever has a posture that wants to get something from God today, let him hear. Whoever prayed before church, God say something to me, they're going to get it. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him and asked him about the parables, he told them the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. And now he explains it, verse 13. And Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? Did you ever have a teacher that said, if you can't get this one, you're not going to get any of them. Some of you are like, yeah, I've had that. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes, takes away the word that was sown in them. Roadside soil. Others like seed sown in rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root... They last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Jesus gives us three elements in this passage. There's a farmer, 
There's seed and there's soil. Who's the farmer? The farmer in this passage is God. Now this is sometimes preached that we are the farmers and we are to sow the seed. That's not bad teaching. It's just not the teaching here. There's other passages that would teach that, but Jesus is not teaching that here. He is teaching here that God is the farmer. The seed is the word of God. It's the gospel. And the soil is who? All of us in here today. It's people. It's, it's our hearts. There's different kinds of soils. So the farmer is God. The seed is the gospel. The soil is our hearts. So the farmer scatters seed on the ground. Now, here, here's the parable in shortened form. He scatters some, and it's on the road. And because there's no depth of soil, the road is so hard, birds come, and they pick off the seed immediately. Some seed is thrown onto ground that it looks good on the surface, and it springs up real quick. But whenever the sun comes out and the heat comes out, because it's rocky underneath the soil, the roots couldn't go deep and it burns up the roots, it burns up the plant, it withers away and it dies. There's a third soil. The farmer throws out the seed, but there's, it, 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 it takes root a little bit, but there's other roots around it. There's other weeds. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things is what the passage says. There's other weeds, there's other thorns and it chokes out the good, the good plant, which is what my yard looks like right now. There's good grass in there, and guess what else is in there? Clover. And guess what the clover's doing to my good grass, Bill? You probably drive by my house every now and then. It's choking out my Bermuda. That's what's happening. But then there's a good soil. There's no weeds. There's no rocks underneath. It's not hard. It's not a path. And it springs up 30, 60-fold, 100-fold. Why the different? Well, that's a different sermon. Different people produce a different amount of a harvest. That's a different passage. He doesn't get into that here. But that's good soil, and that's who we all want to be. Amen? We want to be the good soil. Which one are you? Which one are you? So there's two truths that I want to point out before we dive into the four soils. That's not really the sermon, so this is kind of a a sideways path. Number one, I just noticed this in the passage. God scatters the seed everywhere. He sends it generously. Let me put it another way. God doesn't play favorites. Aren't you glad? People play favorites. There's no racism in God's heart. There's no prejudice in God's heart. There's no discrimination in the kingdom of heaven. That's not going to be there whenever we get there. That is of man. That is, that is trash garbage that we have come up with. God doesn't play favorites. He scatters the seed to everybody. It doesn't matter if you live in North America, South America, Europe, Africa. Everybody gets the seed. Australia, Antarctica. Does anybody live in Antarctica? Everybody gets the seed. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, middle class. It doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat. Or Libertarian or Tea Party or Coffee Party. Everybody gets the, ski, uh, gets, gets the seed. I, I just want to tell you this. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that. And he keeps on sowing generously. There have been times that I've been the hard path. I've been the roadside soil and God keeps trying to get my attention and I am just hard. 
but he keeps sowing. He keeps scattering the seed. Secondly, again, this isn't the sermon. The difference in the fruit is not the seed. It's the soil. The seed is good seed. The seed is the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing wrong with the seed. There's a lot of churches that need to learn that. Maybe if we just change the gospel a little bit and change the word and change the message, then it'll produce fruit. No, the problem is not the seed. It's good seed. The difference comes in the soils. The difference comes in your posture today. I like that because it doesn't put the onus on me. It's usually my fault when there's a bad sermon and somebody doesn't respond. It's on you. (laughs) As long as I open up the word of God and I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're scattering seed every Sunday and about three out of four, that's the percentage, three out of four will not respond. But one out of four will and the difference is not the seed, the difference is the soil. How's your heart today? How's your heart? Are you open to hearing what God wants to say to you? This morning. All right, four soils. Here we go. Number one, the first soil, the seed gets snatched. Everybody say snatched. It comes and gets snatched. Now, I have learned that thoughts get snatched out of my head really quickly. I have thoughts, good thoughts. Sometimes you'd be surprised. Doug, you'll be surprised since apparently I'm boring you in your car. How many of you are not surprised that he got pulled over by a cop, though? I kind of was happy. I was in the pastor's seat. I was like, this is awesome. You're only giving them a warning? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I was rooting for you. I have learned that thoughts get snatched. I can be writing my sermon, typing, and I type, I have a good thought about Jesus, and I type the word Jesus, and it autocorrects to juice, and I immediately think, do we have any juice? Are we out of juice? Do we need to go get some juice? And then I lost my thought. <laughs> it's that quick. I went into the, in the living room this morning with a mission and a purpose And when I got into the living room, guess what happened? I forgot why I went into the living room. I started just looking around and Chelsea said, are you okay? No, (laughs) I'm not. I came down here and my thoughts got snatched. It happens to me quickly. In this passage, what snatches the seed? The birds of the air. Come, it's it's on a hard heart. The birds of the air come and snatch moments out of our lives. So instead of engaging at the dinner table, you're using your thumb to find out what somebody you don't even know is doing tonight, and all of a sudden, your dinner table moment is snatched. The devil wants to snatch moments. There was something you wanted to talk to your teenager about, but instead, you were reading about why Boeing 737s aren't working anymore, And all of a sudden, that moment with your teenager was snatched. You're wanting to spend time with your family. Um, Maybe you're sitting on your phone and you're thinking, hey, I know what this person had for dinner tonight and how many calories they had. And I haven't talked to this person in 30 years since high school, but I don't know who my kids are hanging out with on Friday nights. And it's snatched. The devil can snatch our moments away. This can happen at church today. So the seed is being scattered right now. But by the time you get to the parking lot, the message is snatched. 
and maybe the message is on how to love one another, but by the time you pull out on Fry Road and somebody pulls out in front of you, that message on how to love one another all of a sudden gets snatched. And the spirit of love leaves and stays in this room here today. It happens all the time. The devil doesn't care if you come to church. He's fine with that as long as he can snatch the seed while you're in the parking lot. He's good. As long as we have hard hearts that doesn't allow the seed to germinate or to penetrate or to break through, he's good. Come to church. This is why for some people, you can go to church for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, and never change. You think, well, how can that happen? How can you hear the word of God Sunday after Sunday for 50 years and not change? Because the word of God gets snatched in the parking lot or on the way home or on the way to the restaurant. So our goal is not to create churchgoers. It's to create Jesus followers. Amen. There's a difference. There's a difference. Maybe when you're in your car today, ask the other people in the car, this will help. Did any of those songs touch your heart? Did any of the messages in those songs grab you today? And what you've just done is you've taken the seed that was put on your heart and you've allowed it to penetrate the soil just a little. There was that last song, I will build my life. What's upon your so it hasn't penetrated see it hasn't penetrated <laughs> but during it it I had a convicting moment in the last song and I I was thinking whoa no 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 not right now I'm about to go up and preach I can't get sidetracked <laughs> but I had a convicting moment of something that I need to repent of in my life in the last song and what I need to do on my way home today is go back and reflect on that moment and not let that moment get snatched Get in the car and ask, did anything in the message today touch your heart? Did anything grab you? Did anything point out? And ask the other people in your car. If there's nobody else in that car, just talk to yourself about it. Don't let it get snatched. What causes hard roadside hearts? Three ideas real quick. Preconceived notions. All churches are cults. All they want is the money. Preachers are too rich. Yada, yada. Preconceived notions. I've heard them all, by the way. And so if you come in with a preconceived notion and the gospel is scattered, you already have a hard heart. It can't penetrate that. Or false information. Have you ever heard of fake news? Have you heard that term lately, fake news? Depending on which side of the aisle you're on is depending on which side is being fake. Newsflash, they're both fake. <laughs> I'm just getting to the point where I don't know what to believe. Fake news, the devil is called the great deceiver. He will put false information in your mind, the Bible contradicts itself. It's not real. Evolution is true. God didn't create the world in six days. You just keep going with false information. By the way, archaeology is doing nothing but proving the Bible to be true. Each and every year, they find new remnants that is proving biblical stories left and right. Preconceived notions, false information. Number three, personal issues. Life has just been hard. It's been unfair. I'm mad at the world. I'm angry at everybody. I'm taking it out on everybody. And when I hear the gospel, I'm not going to allow God to penetrate the soil of my heart. Snatched. Number two, scorched. Everybody say scorched. The sun comes up. And by the way, the sun always comes up. And the heat is on and it burns the plant. 
it burns the plant. We live in Houston. The sun is going to come up. Now, I wrote that right there before the weather today. (laughs) Now, what I wrote is, winter is over. The sun is back. I'm not a prophet, just so you know. But I did check the weather, and I think later in the week, it is back. The sun always comes up. The heat always comes on. Life is always... Boy, the Bible doesn't run around this. Life is hard. And if you're going on a mountaintop right now, just get ready for it. The sun's going to come up and it's going to get hard. Again, this is someone whose emotional side of Christianity has sprung up quick. But after it gets hard, after the call of discipleship gets a little bit tougher, they run away. We've all seen it happen. Look back in verses 5 and 6 in our passage in Mark chapter 4. He says, some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. You've seen that, haven't you? Somebody gets excited and overjoyed about the gospel. And six months later, hey, where'd Bob go? Bob, you're here. He was so excited six months ago. What happened? I don't know what happened. But something excited them, but there were no roots that went down into the soil of their heart. And when life got a little tougher, they walked away. Go over to verses 16 and 17. Others, like seed sown in rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So during the song set, their hands are up. They're standing up. They're singing the songs. They're saying amen during the sermons. They're following along. They're taking notes for three months. And then the sun comes up. This happened to Jesus, actually. This happened to Jesus more than people following him happened to Jesus. John chapter 6, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. He was exciting at first. Raising people from the dead, turning water into wine, healing everybody, that's exciting. But there was no root. 80%, everybody say 80%. It's a stat you need to know. 80% of children who grow up in the faith, who grew up in church, leave the faith by the time they're 18 years old. When they're 18 and leave high school and go to college, 80% leave the faith when they go to college and step onto that college campus. And you say, why? And researchers are saying, why? And Bible scholars are saying, why? And nobody knows the answer. There's speculations. I got a thought. I'll give you my opinion. Maybe Jesus knew the answer. Maybe Jesus knew during the first 18 years while they're under the covering of their parents and they're receiving the word of God and they kind of protect them from the heat. They protect them from the sun. They protect them from the drought. Hey, and it's all good. Yeah, maybe something pops up, but there's ne- if there's never been a root system when they turn 18 and they step foot on that campus, guess who's waiting for them on that campus? The evil one will be there. And he's got birds. And he can't wait to snatch that seed if it has no root system. So let me speak to the kids here. If we have any children or teenagers in the crowd, you better figure out what you believe right now. Right now. If you wait to figure it out when you're in college, it might be too late. Because the ideologies that they will give you there will not be congruent with the kingdom of God and the ideology of Jesus. You better start planning your root system now. This is serious stuff. Well, I'm only 11, I'm only 12, I'm only 13, I'm only 14. I have the rest of my life to figure this out. No, the root systems that you develop 
right now in the word of God will last you for a lifetime if you allow it and will protect you from so much harm in future years. So, the conversation my wife and I had before, if I was not a lead minister, where would we go to church? Now, I go to church at Venture, just so you know. I do work here. I'm on staff, so that helps. But if I wasn't on staff, where would we go? And our conversation was quickly, it led to this. The funnest, most exciting, most high-tech, most modern, pizzazz, everything would play almost no role whatsoever on where we chose a church because of our children. Because of our children. Not saying it's bad, not saying it's good. All that modern tech, not against it, actually for it. But we would be looking for a church that would be planting and watering the seed of the word of God so that our kids could develop a root system so that when they leave our home at 18 or 20 or 22 or 32, whenever kids leave home, whenever they leave, they will have roots ready for the evil one. That's what we would be picking. A church that would develop the root system. Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, brothers, sisters, you are watering the root system with patterns. You remember last week? The problem is not the problem. The problem is the Hey, the problem is the pattern. Some of you remember patterns. We're developing patterns. We're developing a root system in our home. Kids, Hudson, Olivia, Tyler, we don't talk bad about people in our homes. We're followers of Jesus. We're developing a root system when they watch that for 18 years. We are not critical of anybody around our dinner table. Now, when we get in the car, on the other hand, then we, no, I'm kidding. We're developing a root system. When we commit to something, we are people of our word. The bolts are people of our word. We're developing a root system. When life gets hard, we do not leave the faith. We do not leave the faith. We do not leave the faith. We do not blame it on God. When we are broke, it's not his fault. When we are hurting, it's not his fault. When somebody says something about us, it's not his fault. When we are developing a root system in our children. And for 18 years, if they can watch what we say at church is how we live at home and what we do at church is what we do at home and it's not contradictory, that will develop a root system in their life. Breakthrough. Colossians 2 Just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. There's the song, by the way. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. So the seed can get snatched. The seed can get scorched. Number three, the seed can get choked. It can get choked. Mark chapter four, verses 18 and 19. Still others like seed sown among thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Choked. There's other weeds. There's good grass in my yard, but there's clover in my yard. There's other weeds. He doesn't call it 
The responsibilities of this life is what's choking it out. It's the worries of this life. Satan can get us all messed up with things that aren't even real. And we're all worried about things that aren't even happening. You know what I'm talking about? I can start playing tricks in my mind and worry myself to death. And it chokes my spiritual fervor and my spiritual passion out. I was reading something yesterday. 95% of the things we worry about never even happen. The worries of this life choke out the seed of the word of God. I was reading that worry is like spiritual heartburn. I like that. Well, I don't like it. I've had heartburn. It chokes you from within. And the worries of this life is like a spiritual heartburn and it chokes the word of God out. Distracted by worry, worry, worry. Robert Elliott said, rule number one is don't sweat the small stuff. Rule number two is it's all small stuff. I like that but there's weeds that's choking it all out. By the way, I don't even know if you can buy seeds of weeds. I mean, I know you can buy seeds of flower. Can you even buy, is there a place to buy weed seeds? Not weed seeds. <laughs> I'm sure there's a place to buy weed and I don't know where that is either, just so you know. I'm sure there's no weed in Cypress or Katy. This is a weed-free community. It's not in the notes, Jay. That's why you just got lost. Anyway, there was a point there. But Luke chapter 10, Mary and Martha. <laughs> what? Mary and Martha's having lunch with Jesus. And Martha's in the back making lunch and she's getting the ribs ready. She's getting the pulled pork from Rudy's ready. Did you enjoy that last week? We had, uh, if you weren't here, we had pulled pork from Rudy's. She's getting the mashed potatoes with gravy and it should always be white gravy, not brown gravy. We're getting the peach cobbler ready. She's getting it all ready in the back. She's getting the table set. Jesus is out in the dining room. He's teaching. And Martha's sister, Mary, is not helping Martha in the kitchen. Where is she? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to it. But Martha's preparing the meal. And this is what the passage says in Luke chapter 10, verse 40. But Martha was what? Distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister... Sisters told on sisters even then. Has left me to do the work by myself. Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, Lord answered, you are worried, distracted by worry and upset about many things, but few things are needed or need only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. Distracted by worry. It goes on in Mark 4, verse 19. But the worries of this life and now the deceitfulness of, of wealth will choke it out. Oh, this part's for Mark Cuban, uh, Cuban, Donald Trump, Bill Gates, and Oprah Winfrey. No, although they need it too. It doesn't say wealth chokes you out. It says the deceitfulness of wealth. It's not that money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money. It's not, wealth is not bad. Wealth is actually good. God uses wealth. This church is here today because of people that have some wealth that wanted to donate. Some gave out of their wealth, some gave out of their poverty, but people who were willing to give. God, if you have the ability to make wealth, go make wealth. Just never get fooled into thinking your satisfaction is going to come from wealth. It will not. And the moment you start to think that my satisfaction is related to my wealth, you will start to live in a way that more wealth equals more satisfaction, and you will go down a road that never has an ending. 
you will never be satisfied. Our desires and our satisfactions are found in Jesus Christ, in Jesus alone. I just, you know what? A lot of poor people are more obsessed with money than rich people. It has nothing to do with how much you have. There's a lot of poor people more obsessed with riches than those who actually have riches. Some parents will bust their rear doing whatever it takes to get their kids more stuff, but neglect giving their kids what they need most, which is themselves. About three or four times a year, I end up, I probably won't do that anymore, but I end up preaching in a revival. A hundred years ago, there were revival services. There's still some left. Sunday through Wednesday or Sunday through Friday, a revival service. But this requires me to go out of state and leave my family here for a week. Uh, we'll be doing one in August, or I won't be here on a Sunday on August 5th or 6th, but my first Sunday not here. I said yes to that one, but just said no to two in March. We're still in March. Said no to two in March because this is a commitment to me. And I don't, I don't want to leave you guys, especially at this stage. But also because... I really struggle being away from my family. The moment I get in my car or get on that airplane, in, in August's case, to go up to Illinois to preach a revival, my heart starts to hurt. And I send a text, hey, missing you already. Are the kids asking about me? No, they're eating cookies. Okay, well, let me know when they're asking about me. And by the time, I mean, when I get back, big hugs and missed you. So two weeks ago, went up to Kansas to do some fundraising. Um, I pulled the trigger on an advertisement that cost us $30,000. $30,000 this church does not have. <laughs> and so I went up to raise it. I raised close to half of it. And, and, and we'll do some more. Doug will do some. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, about 12 houses a day, just from sunup to sundown, fundraising, fundraising for the church. Uh, needed another day. I was $5,000 short. I needed Thursday. But we, Jay went with me to visit his mom. We drove through the night on Wednesday night. Got done with my last meeting on Wednesday at about 9 o'clock. <coughs> Excuse me. And hit the road from a subway in Caney, Kansas, 67333. And we hit the road on Interstate 75, Highway 75. And we hightailed it to Houston to get back on Thursday morning. I tailed it through the night at about five in the morning. He shared with the driving at about five in the morning, if you were driving around College Station, there was a charcoal Toyota Camry who was swerving around the road. That was me because my eyes started to droop. And I just, I don't drive through the night very well. Jay was asleep, not helping me at all. And um, I'm doing this and that, I'm kidding. And why'd you do that? Why didn't you just stay till Thursday, get that, get that last $5,000? Why didn't you do that? I'll tell you why I didn't do that. I had a boy who's five years old who had his first baseball game on Thursday afternoon. That's why. And you want to know where I was on Thursday afternoon instead of raising that extra 5000 I was at Harris County, Katy, American Little League, field number five. And I saw my boy smack that ball and run to first base and have the biggest smile on his face. And I saw him out in the field, all of a sudden run off the field. Hudson, where are you going? I got to go pee, Dad. I got to see it. <laughs> I got to see it. Now, here's the deal. Money is just money. And I'm a money guy. I like living in the black and not in the red. And I have worries about money. I'm not above it. I'm telling you confession right now. 
I have worries about money, but I do not want to let my worries about money choke out my relationship with my family. And more than that, I don't want the worries of this life to choke out my spiritual fervor that I have in my soul for Jesus. Nobody can ever take that away or that we have in our home. It is too important. I have a five-year-old, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old and he's only gonna be five one time and, and he's only gonna be two one time and she's only gonna be four, I hope she's only gonna be four one time. <laughs> oh man. And I don't wanna miss it. Somebody else can go raise some more money. I can always have another day, but I'm not getting that first baseball game back. And I'm gonna miss baseball games. I will miss games throughout his life, but if I can help it, I don't want it snatched away from me. Maybe God wants you to hear today, don't miss it, don't miss it, don't miss it because of the worries of this life. Don't let the worries of this life or the deceitfulness of wealth or the desire for other things choke out the spiritual passion that you have for Jesus. Don't let it happen. Number four, final, rooted. Everybody say rooted. This person's heart is open, humble, expectant, leaning in. Right now, you're leaning in. You don't want this message to end. Okay, stay out of this. And God's gonna do great things. Give me more. Mark 4, verse 20. Others like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. That's who I wanna be. The Bible calls the seed the incorruptible seed of the word of God, First Peter the incorruptible seed of the word of God. And this is the person that when trouble comes and life gets hard and something is said and we go broke and we go bankrupt and all the storms of life come, it ain't touching this plant because the roots are planted so deep into that soil. You're not taking me off my foundation because I got a heart of good soil. That's what that is. I'll close with this story. John Krakauer wrote a book called The Best Selling Book into thin air. He tells of some mountain climbers who climbs Mount Everest. And he te- the book talks about the difficulties of climbing Mount Everest and what people go through. He specifically talked about a man by the name of Andy Harris. Andy was with his group, but he was faster than the rest of his group. And so he climbed Mount Everest and got to the top before anybody else. And then the rest of the group, when they were up there, they came on down, but he stayed longer than anybody else. He was the first one up and the last one down And whenever his group got down to base camp, Andy was still up there about to start to come down when he started to panic because he couldn't breathe. He was lacking oxygen. And so he called down to the base camp, hey, guys, I need help. I need some oxygen. And the guys in the base camp said, hey, Andy, not a problem. Look in your bag. We put some foil canisters of oxygen in your bag. He says, yeah, I see them right there. They said, use them. There's oxygen in there. He said, no, there's no oxygen in there. They said, Andy, yes, there is. There's oxygen in there. He said, no, I'm not even going to try it. There's no oxygen in there. No, Andy, just just try the oxygen. It's in there. No, I'm not even going to try it. There's nothing in there. And they just start to get frustrated. And there's this odd argument that starts to happen through their, you know, walkie-talkie or phone, whatever that they're using. And Andy Harris refused to open up the canisters of oxygen when he was struggling for oxygen and the guys down at the base camp, they, they were getting mad. I mean, frustratingly, lovingly mad. Andy, open up the oxygen canisters. No, not gonna do it. And it eventually became clear to the guys in the base camp what was happening. He had lost so much oxygen 
that he couldn't think straight. And he, he wasn't even thinking coherently. And the very thing that could have saved his life, he ends up dying on the top of the mountain. The very thing that could have saved his life was right in front of him, and he refused to use it. Spiritually, it happens all the time. The only thing that could possibly ever give us life is Jesus Christ. It's right in front of us. The seed is planted. The seed is scattered. People say, it won't help. I'm not even going to try it. Now, what we could do here at the close is we could get a little frustrated. And we're thinking, I know somebody who has the hard path. I know somebody who's refusing the oxygen that Jesus gives us. Wait a minute. Let's look at our own hearts for a second. Is there something that God is trying to say? Is there something that God is trying to do? Is is God trying to get your attention today? Is God trying to get my attention? Am I allowing the seed to develop roots in me? Am I setting my family up where the seeds of the gospel can find roots in their hearts? So our prayer as we close as that comes to play. Our prayer is what Paul prayed to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 1.18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be open to see his light so that you will know what is the hope to which he has called you, how rich are the wonderful blessings he promises his people.